0: Be for the honey, bee be for the, be for the honey, be- Welcome to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, and I have the great pleasure of welcoming Katherine Petrucelli with us this evening. Katherine is a workshop leader, tutor, and mom with roots in spoken word. She holds an MA in teaching English language learners. Katherine's work has appeared in places like the Southern Review, New Ohio Review, Rattle, Poet Lore, Tinderbox, and others. She's taught poetry workshops for youth through California Poets in the Schools, Mass Poetry, and Seattle's Hugo House, and her professional life has included translating Hotel California for Hungarian high schoolers and anthologizing poetry by rival gang members. She's a past winner of San Francisco's Litquake Essay Contest, a Best of the Net nominee, and a finalist for the Omnidon Broadside Poetry Prize. Raised in the mid-Atlantic and forever longing for California's Central Coast, Catherine currently resides in Western Massachusetts, from which she runs online workshops, including for adults, and gardens when it's not snowing. And you can find her on the web at PoetRoar.com. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show, Kitty. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's great. Kitty and I met years and years and years ago studying with Ellen Bass. And uh, we used to meet uh, monthly in Moss Landing at the hot enchilada. And we would have uh, black beans and rice and write together. It was so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really have such fun memories of those times. And, you know, since you moved away, um, I've really enjoyed seeing your poems pop up and such good journals and um so it's just i'm excited to dive in with you and and have you with us on the hive yeah thank you so much i thought we'd start the show and i asked kitty to bring a poem that she admires and um you brought the poem bring now the angels by dilruba ahmed uh, is there anything you want to say about it before you read gosh Um, That's
1: a good question, and it it almost brings up a a poetry question for me, uh, which is always, yeah, how much to say before and how how much to reveal after. And I know people have such very different ideas Mm -hmm. about this. I think, well, I'll say this. So Bring Now the Angels uh, is the title poem of uh, Ruba Ahmed's book that was published in 2020 that was among the books that came out that year that we all so desperately needed. And um, the book chronicles mostly the decline and um, passing of her dad. And I, I think that's all I wanna say before I read it. Okay, great. Bring now the angels to test your pulse as you sleep. Bring the healer the howler, the listening ear. Bring an apothecary to mix the tincture. We need the salve, the tablet, the capsule of the hour. Bring sword eaters and those who will swallow fire. Fetch the guardian to flatten the wheelchair, to hoist it toward heaven. The public shuttle awaits, the ceaseless trips to the clinic, to the bedside manner, summon witness this medic's disdain toward patients, the physician's dismissal of pain, and call the druggist again to drug us senseless, bring a nomad to index our debts, tuck each invoice into broken walls of regret, call the cleric, the clerk, the messenger's divine, summon someone, collect the prayers buried or burnt, tied to stones, sunk in seas, dunked underwater until all dissolves. The tickets rustle in a hat, the carnival music slows, a lottery ball spins, the carousel stops, the candy machine spins gold. Bring now the scribe, let it be written. There is no shepherd, no sherpa, no moonlight guide for these, the darkest journeys of our lives. Who will lift the shuttle above the outposts of the living? Who will watch it rise and rise? Who will clear a path among all the wreckage? Who will weave a nest for all the birds of passage? Who will bridge the gap between savage and salvage? Who will sing over wilting stalks, rough
0: husks, silk, still gleaming like hair in a dream? Beautiful. That was Catherine Petruccelli reading the poem Bring Now the Angels by Dilruba Ahmed. It was such a great reading. Thank you. I, I adore
1: reading out loud. Um, as you said in my opening, you know, I sort of come from the spoken word tradition and I believe very strongly in in voice and the mm-hmm. power of that mm-hmm. and, and what that can do for us.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, it's so powerful you know I've been reading this poem quietly to myself since you sent it to me and loving it each time more um but it's wonderful to hear it read aloud so so tell us kitty why this poem now yeah you know
1: it's what came to mind for whatever reason uh when you asked for for someone else's poem i think because it encapsulates a lot for me. Um, if you see it on the page, it's quite interesting too. So the beginning of the poem, the lines are broken and a bit chaotic uh, on the page, lots of M dashes. And then when we get to the tickets russell in a hat, there's a couplet there that's italicized. And then finally we get to bring now the scribe, let it be written. And we're back to... A left justified, quote unquote, normal mm-hmm. look on the page. So you have this really interesting dynamic visual. Yeah. And then the music of the language and the play of language. Yeah. I mean, I'm a sucker for that. Um, but also I feel like besides all of that, it's the energy that you can sense in this poem, that kind of electric energy of a dynamic time in someone's life that is transitional, even if it isn't our own transition, or maybe especially because it isn't, because it's someone we love and, you know, a birth, a death, that kind of source we tap into that just electrifies the feeling behind the words that I feel like is re-enlivened when, when I hear or read this poem. Yeah. Um, So I I just, the urgency behind it is something that I feel is is maybe something we need right now.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, this poem gets under your skin in a really interesting way because there's a lot of kind of slant rhyme and rhythm and repetition in the poem, and it changes form and deepens as it goes along. And we kind of start in the opening of the poem, what seems to be maybe one person's suffering and the the medical response to that. And then it goes along deepening to by the end, including the entire living world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. those questions
1: um, are just so compelling uh, at the end. And I I, yeah. I very much agree. It just broadens out until we are all in it. We're all swirling in yeah. this
0: and these deeper questions that maybe we should be asking. Yeah. And, and also the, uh, the the structure of the poem is really interesting too, because it it has very little declarative sentences in it. Mm. It opens with the imperative, bring the healer, the howler, the listening ear, bring an apothecary to mix the tincture. And so we start to feel this piling up in the opening and then a little turn to the dec- declarative we need the self the tablet the capsule of the hour and then back to the imperative bring sword eaters fetch the guardian summon witness on and on right until that couplet that you mentioned about the tickets rustle in a hat the right. carnival music slows. A lottery ball spins. The carousel stops. The candy machine spins gold, and
1: yeah. then
0: back to bring now the scribe, and then into the subjunctive mood, let it be written. And then there is no shepherd, no sherper, no moonlight guide. You know, it's really it has a huge impact. And then into the interrogative with all those questions. Yeah.
1: I I feel like there's a sort of like a, the poet or the the speaker is kind of shaking herself uh, a bit to, to a different, um, a different sense or a different reality. Wait, wait, I know how to do this. Yeah. Bring now the scribe. So I feel like in that way, it, uh that's what else draws me to this as a poem of example um you know or a sample of of what we might need now it's it's you know writing you know it's yeah. it's it's an honor of writing um, yeah. as
0: well and among among witness. it all yeah, and bearing witness very much really paying attention and i yeah. uh, I love it that she does it without you know so much um story but yes, with it's master images.
1: Yeah. I can tell you, you know, um, just the images too. I like you, you know, the more I, I read the poem, the more I got out of it, of course, which is always a signal for a wonderful poem. But I, you know, I have a, I have a son who was born with a heart condition and who was operated on at four months old, uh, mm-hmm. at Boston children's hospital. And if anyone, I don't know if this is still the case. Um, In the lobby of Boston Children's, but uh, if anyone has been there, it's a bit like a carnival. So they have Mm. gone the road of distraction or entertainment or something. So there's like a Rube Goldberg machine going on, and there's like Mm. this over here in this corner, and this over here in this corner. And perhaps that serves, you know, a certain demographic or a certain age child. Um, For me, you know, walking in with my infant. Um, I was just like, oh, dear. You know, it was more yeah. overwhelm. It was yeah. more overwhelm, And I, you know, the tickets rustle in the hat, the carnival music slows, I was personally that that's what I brought. When I yeah. first read this poem as well, I was there. Yeah. Um, and it was speaking to something very, very different than what inspired this poem, which yeah. again, was, you know, the passing of, of her dad. So,
0: well, and that's the, the power of poetry that when you get such particular images they speak to the listener and the the poem becomes about the listener's experience yeah it's, it's really successful well if you're just tuning in this is the hive poetry collective on k squid santa cruz 90.7 fm i'm your host today julie murphy and we're having a wonderful poetry conversation with bi-coastal poet kitty Petricelli. And let's turn to your work now. You're going to read some poems from the manuscript you're working on now, God of Sea, God of Salt, which is such a great title.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I have a couple pieces um, uh, that I'd be happy to read you. And that line, God of Sea, God of Salt, comes from a line from one of the poems, but it it came about because uh, no matter what I seemed to write about, I came back to the ocean. I came back to the ocean, and as well, so much—I mm, guess you could say, re- for lack of a better word—religious imagery kept popping up for mm-hmm. me, uh, and I—I I credit that to again a type of urgency, or um, I almost want to say last resort. Mm um i was playing a bit with with language and the history of of language and the history of the alphabet um and the first things translated from the earliest alphabet was of course a prayer and mm-hmm. and so this kind of wraps around yeah and and finally when i hit on the title uh, it seemed like that that should be part of it
0: yeah the the ocean really threads through that collection of poems in a really really powerful way and also the natural world, you bring the natural world so alive in your poems and um, the language poems, which I'm going to ask you about more specific later. It it a little echoed this opening poem that you just shared with us, the way some of your poems kind of scatter across the page and the play that the curiosity you have uh, as a poet, with language, with the alphabet, with the meanings of words, um, that really comes through the collection at all. Are really, really stunning. So um, you'll have to let us know when it comes out in print, and uh, we will post it on our buzz. So, well, thank you so much.
1: Uh, Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> well, we, we need this book. It's um, you know again. When a poem becomes so deeply personal and specific, um, it opens a door for the reader, for the listener, to enter into not just the world of the poem on the page, but a deeper place inside themselves. Yeah. And your, your manuscript it is a journey. It's a, it's a person's journey. And you feel that as you're going through the poems. You feel the speaker struggling with where is home? What's important? What's happening in the world? Um, you know, it's very much grappling with life and death and everything in between. And you invite the reader into those deeper places, you know, in themselves.
1: Thank you so much. Well, Thank you for that read and, and for those comments. I mean, I, I, I do like to think that part of what I'm doing or what I'm trying to do is have someone question the givens, Mm -hmm. question the things that are taken for granted, particularly culturally. And so to kind of stop and um, step out of the mainstream line and kind of take another look at what's in front of them in that way. Yeah. yeah. Cause I feel like the cultural ideas and our, our sort of socialized niceties block so much of what is authentic outside of the page and the poetry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautifully said. And, and that really comes through the poems. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like the whole world is included. Hmm. Well, let's hear one. Okay. Well, how about we hear? start with renaming? Absolutely.
1: Renaming. I read the name of the poet, and it's so lovely. Diphthongs gliding into diphthongs, letters disappearing because of what is in front of them. Their futures softened edges sounds dovetailing in a language where women carry children on their backs in woven cloth, shushing only with repetition, motion of work, voices of other women talking about their day. In these languages, beauty is a rush, tongue a skirt, flush of familiar faces at the market. Then there's English, where syllables fight each other, futures hard things, denoted by something that comes before the action, as if we figured everything out in advance. I want to rename myself, to try on resonance, like the rush of a river, the mouth, a cave of origin, waves as they leave it rolling in alluring rhythms. I will rename the flowers, too, the grasses, colors, names for the smell of bread, the whole matrilineal line, until we would ulalate when we spoke, fetching feelings of delicate grief, such handsome truths, until the shapes of words
0: offered themselves to us, and we stepped through, free. Beautiful. That was Catherine Petruccelli reading her poem. Renaming on the Hive Poetry Collective, KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. Oh my, this poem really just totally embodies everything we were just talking about in terms of culture and the world and opening things up. And it's so wonderful in its lush description of language. I don't think I've ever heard a poem describing language in this way. Diphthongs gliding into diphthongs. It's just really wonderful. And in these languages, beauty is a rush, tongue, a skirt, flush of familiar faces at the market. Then there's English, where syllables fight each other, futures hard things. You know, it's just really wonderful. Resonance, like the rush of a river, the mouth, a cave of origin and later waves as they leave it, rolling in alluring rhythms. It's just such gorgeous, you know, sound and music and alliteration and um, musing. I am really drawn in this exploration of of sound and language and what it means. And then when the, the poem turns into this Incredible statement, I want to rename myself. It's so unexpected. I, I don't expect the I to show up in this poem. Ah. <laughs> right? Because I'm so in the language. And yet when the I makes its appearance, it makes the poem so intimate. And the poem really gains momentum. And I think that's about in the middle of the poem, a little, maybe a little past, um, or a little past the middle. Um, can you tell us about this? Like, did did it surprise you to have it come in the poem, or did you have to rearrange it to get it in the right place? Or
1: that's an interesting question. Um, I I can tell you about the origin of this poem uh, for sure, and I think that that thought although maybe not in that line um I want to rename myself was part of the impetus of the poem and so it it was sort of hovering there as I started to write um to be quite honest I mean I just as it says at the beginning you know I was reading the poet I was reading was Eloisa Mesqua
0: Ah. and she's
1: Eloisa Amesqua. but of course in that beautiful Spanish it would be Eloisa mesqua it just rolls to rolls together, yeah. and I thought, oh my gosh! I don't even have to read the poem. I love her name so much.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and,
1: and you know, my background is language. Um, I studied teaching, you know, English to speakers of non- uh, that are non-native speakers, and I, I love, I love. I'm a huge language geek. I'm standing mm-hmm. next to my poster of the evolution of the alphabet. You know, uh, so. Yeah, I I feel like I read, I read that and it sort of spun me off, you know, reading her, just her name, even it spun me off into this um, thought of what could be and what could be sound. And I think I was also really bored of myself. Mm -hmm. And that was a part of Mm -hmm. the inspiration. I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to write another narrative poem that has the same twenty five words in them that I use all the time and I, I so i that is that is more than um a little <laughs> with more with more than a little bit of frequency that can be an inspiration for me just you know being fed up with my own style uh or my own um kind of dipping into the same resources mm-hmm. uh, and so uh i I kind of went for the music and um you know, I want to renew myself was, was pretty true because, you know, I've never enjoyed my first name, (laughs) either my given name or my nickname. And I thought, gosh, you know, what would that be like to, to, to be someone else? And I have certainly spent time in other cultures. And so I could put my mind into that, that space or that memory in that, that mental image or that sort of consolidation of images of other places where, in fact, you know, women are carrying children in woven cloth, and, and those things, you know, really came from, uh, came from authentic memory, or, you know, that piecemeal memory that we create into um, what is real. So that was, that was some of what happened for me. Yeah,
0: that's really wonderful. And the, you know, we really feel that in those lines. And then I, I want to talk about the end of the poem a little bit, too, because there's this penultimate moment in the poem where the you know the speaker says, I'll rename the flowers to the grasses, colors, names for the smell of bread, the whole matrilineal line. So here, history is just rushing in. Mm. Right. Until we would ululate when we spoke, fetching feelings of delicate grief, such handsome truths. And so here's this penultimate moment where the speaker is renaming everything, letting this diphthong, this ululation, come through everything. And, you know, there's these two adjectives that really stand out. Delicate grief and handsome truths. And they're they're really because there aren't other i don't think there's any other adjectives in the poem they um they're really pointing to to that freshness mm. that the you know that you just described you were searching for
1: well and, and i didn't want a to sort of land in a hard in you know, a in a harsh way either i yeah. wanted to make it clear that this wasn't um you know a lamentation where we were throwing ourselves you know uh, yeah, abjectly <laughs> um, onto a coffin. You know, this was this was something else. Yeah, this that's right, river. and that
0: really comes through. And then, so then, the very end of the poem, until the shapes of words offered themselves to us, and we stepped through free. Like that's such a start, so startling and satisfying that the the shapes of words. Mm could be the vehicle of transformation and freedom
1: Mm. like that's just that's just so wonderful yeah i mean it gets it gets down it gets down to it with me julie i'm telling you it's like (laughs) just just the stroke of a line i mean it doesn't have to take much and i'm in love um it's great this poem too is it's there's something very uh, feminine, very much about female agency that's driving behind the scenes here as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that really comes through too. That's great. Kitty, I want to, I want to follow up on something you were just talking about in terms of language and your fascination with the alphabets. How'd you get hooked into language and specifically into the alphabet? Because Your manuscript has quite a number of poems about letters. And when I was reading it, every time I came to another letter poem, I was like, oh good, another letter. And they they have one thing in common. They have, well, they have two things in common. The letter is in the title, And then there's a little history of the letter as an epigraph at the beginning of the poem. And then all of the poems are wildly different. Right. Which is so much fun because each time I would come to another letter poem, I'd get very excited like, oh, now I get to learn about H. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so tell us how you got hooked into this. It's really great. Oh, gosh. Um, You know, I think
1: it's so difficult to, to pick out where our obsessions come from. I yeah. think when I was starting college <laughs> so many decades ago, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I thought maybe I wanted to be a communications major. I had no idea what that meant, but I told someone at some point, I want to be a communications <laughs> major. And, um, And there was something in me that was driving in the right direction there, right? That is what I'm interested in. That is what I've always been interested in. That connection, that bridge, that communication over some sort of border, some sort of wall. And, um, but of course, as a communications major, I ended up in like marketing, you know, seminars and broadcasting classes. And I was like, huh, yeah, okay, not quite. But then eventually, by the time I was a sophomore, um, my... Um, class schedule was filled with languages. And I looked and I was like, oh, maybe I'm a language major. And one of those languages was Egyptian hieroglyphs. I had the most amazing professor that taught us Egyptian culture and grammar of the ancient hieroglyphs. I, I always loved that class. And it's so funny how we weave back to some of those, some of those origins and, and how right we are sometimes.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. How right we are in what we want. Mm. Let's take a little break here and we'll be right back. <laughs> This is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. If you're enjoying today's show, please visit the Hive Poetry Collective on Facebook, the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD. You can visit our website, hivepoetry.org, and you can find our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. This is the Hive Poetry Collective, and I'm your host, Julie Murphy. Today we're here with Catherine Petricelli. Welcome back.
1: I am most alive when I am playing with language when I and, and that includes, you know, trying to speak other languages. I just uh, I love all kinds of methods of communication. You know, uh-huh. even when you're speaking to someone, you know, with whom you share, you know, half a dozen words. It, we communicate, we do it. Yeah. And so what is that? What, you know, what is the humanness in that that allows that to happen?
0: That's great. That's great. I, I can hear your excitement as you're talking about. It. It's really wonderful. Let's hear one of these poems if we can. And um, perhaps you'd read N, Cheating Evolution. Thank you. I will. Uh, so here's what you want to know about
1: N. Uh, it began it was probably it was probably a water snake when first drawn in hieroglyphs. Uh, and then the uh, Northwest Semitic folks who created the alphabet, who were working uh, in Egypt, um, turned it into their letter, which uh, is noon, which meant fish. Uh, in Phoenicians. So the Phoenicians would be the ancestors of those early uh, Semitic alphabet creators. Uh, and so uh, N is from fish, And of course it has, like most of the letters, evolved over 4,000 years and changed shape many times so that you might not recognize it uh, if you saw its earlier shapes. And this poem has a double epigraph. The second is a quote by uh, the MIT professor of biomechatronics named Hugh Herr. And Professor Herr uh, stated in a TED talk called How We'll Become Cyborgs and Extend Human Potential that, quote, humans may also extend their bodies into non-anthropomorphic structures such as wings. During the twilight years of this century, I believe humans will be unrecognizable in morphology and dynamics from what we are today. So this is N, cheating evolution. What if we could have wings, our shoulder blades glistening with gossamer ruffling in the breeze, descendants who flew to the store to grab milk, who soared hawk-like over the landscape, No more slamming doors at the sudden end of arguments. We'd register our vexation instead with the snap of feathers opening, or perhaps rise above petty differences with our mastery of lift and thrust. Who would pay attention or even care about the atrophy of our feet? What would the view available from our perch in treetop cafes? Once we were fish, Crawling onto shore, leaving behind waves, craving only legs. The trading of fin for wing, a natural progression. After so many eons of walking, running, maybe the body is ready for what comes next. Who wants to move at the speed of alphabets? Or worse, wait another 400 million years to ascend into the atmosphere? Still. Whenever we'd fall from the blue arms of the sky, we'd cry. Sea salt past leaking from our eyes.
0: Wonderful. That was Catherine Petruccelli reading her poem, N, Cheating Evolution, on the Hive Poetry Collective, KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. Well, what an amazing imaginative poem this is. I I just love the conceit of this poem uh, to contrast the evolution out of the ocean to a future of wings and imagining our human life in that context and the trade-offs. It's. I have never read anything like it. And as imaginative as this poem is, it's just still so grounded in our complicated humanity.
1: Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I I heard this TED talk and this professor who was so very dedicated to to his ideas. And I thought, wow, you know, what don't I know? <laughs> what don't I know about the, you know, the near future? Uh-huh. Um So, you know, it was just one of those things I, I thought, well, (laughs) where are we going and what can, you know, what can I, what does that tell us about who we are?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think about that with my children, because, you know, I have a 10 year old and a son who's about to turn 17, you know, I mean, their world is, is infinitely different than, than mine and will be. And I I often try to sneak in these little value lessons, you know. (laughs) And okay, no matter what happens, you know, no matter what weird technology comes next, here are the questions I want you to be asking. You know, I hopefully don't do it that didactically, but
0: yes, yeah. Well, and and I love I love that you bring the questions into the poem. It's such a, a great moment in the poem at this turn, after so many eons of walking, running maybe the body is ready for what comes next. And I love that the speaker, instead of telling us what that is, um, asks us questions that bring in the notion of time, moving backward and forward, uh, and it kind of brings it back into the poem. Um, who wants to move at the speed of alphabets? Or worse, wait another 400 million years to ascend into the atmosphere and I, I think those questions also stand in for those personal things of who wants to me re- who wants to remain like stuck in our own personal problems or you know stuck at our own edge of um you know whatever conflicts or whatever difficulties we're grappling with in our lives. You know, how can we leap forward? How can we move through? And, you know, the poem is so light handed and how it mm-hmm. opens that door. It's,
1: and I think the body plays a role here too. I mean, I know that uh, there are several poems in the manuscript that I uh, have worked on that are rooted very explicitly in the body. And it's certainly is showing up even more in some of the newer work that I've been writing. You know, what remains in the body? What? Uh, what do we have to say about living in a body?
0: Yeah. And so that's present as well. Well, yeah, and some of the uh, the you can't you know listeners you can't see the page, the poem on the page, but um, the form is really interesting on the page. The poem is compi- comprised of different length lines and different sized stanzas and there's some caesuras, white spaces in some but not all of the lines and then you have a couple of sticks lines that are standalone lines and that's where the body really comes in waves craving only legs and uh, the other line that really jumped out at me is with the snap of feathers opening <laughs> and uh, really feel the body Mm. very present in all of that. Um, And also I love how the poem ends going back to the ocean, you know, going back to that first form. Still whenever we fall from the sky's blue arms we cry our sea salt past leaking from our eyes and there we're right back in the body again
1: Yeah, I've always been fascinated by the fact that our tears are salt water. And I feel like, you know, there are all these little reminders, right, of how we belong to this earth. Yeah. And in a time when, you know, there are too many people so separated from the natural world and our connection to it and uh, the climate crisis and everything around it being evidence of how... How far under the rug we've tried to push our connection. You know, I think it's important. You know, to pay attention to um, those signs that we get over and over and over if we choose to pay attention about no, no. You know, we are meant to be here, and and this is this is a, a signal of of how and why. And you know, it's important to to be there and to be uh, recognizing our connection to to the earth and. Um, and it's all, you know, about origin, which is, you know, you, you mentioned how my work talks a lot about home, uh, and certainly origin is, uh, a subset or maybe, um, you know, the umbrella the ultimate. Home, yeah you know, or origin in many ways, uh, come comes in and, you know, uh, it, in a very literal way, sometimes in my work, and, yeah. and this is, this is one of those examples where, you know, um hey this is this is where
0: we come from yeah that's great yeah that's wonderful you know i know over the years um kitty that you've worked quite a bit with young people and clearly it's important to you to introduce them to poetry and um maybe you could share with us a little bit about what inspires you to do so Yeah, I would love to. I think that it's
1: hugely important to bring more youth into poetry. You know, we've all been to readings where the majority of the audience are older folks. And I feel like like so many things right now, we need to be questioning that. You know, why Mm -hmm. is that? Does it have to be that way? What are the implications of the fact that it is that way? You know, and, you know, young people are, of course, like all of us um, dealing with this wild swirl of events in the last couple of years between the pandemic and uh, social justice uprisings, and they need the space more than ever to process, Um, particularly, you know, if they're isolated from peers, as they were for um, a big stretch of time, and to some degree still are, Uh, you know, they, they need places to To process their feelings and poetry is an amazing avenue to try to do that. So, you know, we cultivate a new generation of, you know, or we would never question cultivating a new generation of like IT professionals or, um, you know, engineers. Um, We need to cultivate that new generation of poets because more than ever, we need to create new solutions and different ideas And we need to show young people that they're okay, that it's okay, that, you know, we can be okay. And I've heard too many folks, including people that are really wonderfully dedicated to young people kind of shake their heads more recently and and kind of be like, well, gosh, you know, um, the teens now, I mean, that's, oh boy, they're the lost generation. And it makes me very upset to hear that because I feel like, are we giving up? Are we giving up on these kids? You know, um, I mean, we are still the generation in charge, like it or not. (laughs) And so I don't want to abdicate that responsibility. I mean, how wonderful that, you know, the Grettas of the world and all those other exceptional young people have stepped into the spotlight and, you know, spoken up, but we can't rely on those exceptional voices to pull everyone along you know we the adults need to be there for these kids and we you know it's amazing to me still when I do workshops you know we can kind of get into our bubbles and the you know the place where I live is sort of a bubble Santa Cruz I would call sort of a bubble right and (laughs) we can kind of pull ourselves into thinking well you know, everybody knows, you know, X, Y, and Z, or or people kind of agree that, you know, DEF, whatever the the list of things is, and it's just simply not necessarily true. So I get into these workshops with kids, and and I think, well, clearly, they understand kids these days that poetry doesn't have to rhyme, or that, you know, anything can be a subject for a poem. But over and over again, I'm shown that, kids don't know that. They don't know that. And when they find out, you know, the joy that that evokes is just something that I always want to be able to be in the presence of, you know, I I mean, it can be the smallest thing that you offer them that can be the key uh, to, you know, getting to the next step or getting to the next day.
0: Yeah. And, and that's really, you know, it's like the evolution of poetry, of losing its form, you know, its metered form and traditional subjects of uh, really opening a, it up as a, a vehicle of contemplation. And anything can become contemplated. Anything can be spoken of. Anything can be looked at and described and in all kinds of surprising language. So... I love hearing your passion and I agree with you completely. And if you could if you could transform one aspect of how we share poetry in our society, what Ooh. would you do?
1: Oh my goodness. I you know I'm how kind much- of
0: catching you on the fly yeah, with this question, truth. but
1: yeah. I think uh I think we need, I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I feel like we need to invite more people to the conversation, and when I say that, I mean we need to maybe uh, educate a little bit around what questions folks could could ask a poet or about a poem, and maybe we could do that by um, first, you know, if there if, if there are two poets, for example, reading together, they could be um, exchanging with each other questions about the work and creating the space so that others could then maybe join in. That um, Maybe that kind of, kind of nagging idea in the back of their head is worth, you know, voicing, or maybe they had no idea what to ask, but, you know, they get an idea after listening to uh, poets discuss, discuss things. I think the role of the host in a poetry event is huge. Yeah. I don't think people take that role seriously enough. Um, you know, it's not just, you know, to read a bio and and then say thank you for coming. You know, I I I think that we need to engender a more in, you know, involved audience.
0: Yeah, so there's some modeling of that that will really help people. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. That's because great. I think people want to engage, right? We want to have an experience. It's, yeah. You know, we don't just want to um, listen and go home, um, listen and click. You know, leave meeting. We we want to be engaged. And um, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an interesting example. Uh, well, it's interesting to me. <laughs> um, so I live right now, um, not very far at all from Smith College, which some might know is the alma mater of Sylvia Plath, and Smith mm-hmm. has quite a, a good poetry center and a reading series that's open to the public. And in before times, <laughs> before uh, COVID, I one of the folks i got to see was Camille Dungy. And of oh, course,
0: wonderful.
1: She's, you know, an amazing poet. And so I was watching her reading. And you know, the books are for sale in the lobby. And then you know, you if you get a book, then you line up at the table afterwards, and the poet signs your book. And I just, I wasn't able to buy a book that night. It was not in the budget or what, you know, whatever the case. And I remember, you know, I wish I remembered her words more exactly, but I can paraphrase what Camille said at the end of her reading, which was, listen, you don't have to have a book in your hand to get in that line. I'll sign anything. I just want to say hello.
0: Beautiful. And yeah. I
1: got In line, you know, with this little cardstock, um poem that Smith had given out, right? That's what they do. They print little sample poems of the of the readers. And and I thought, okay. And I got up there and I said, you know, kind of sheepishly, oh hi, uh you said you could sign anything. And she was so sweet and so warm. And she was like, yes, you know, like, hello. Yeah. And we had, you know, a little 30 second exchange. And I remember that. And I and I'm I carry that warmth with me. Yeah. Um you know, because it wasn't just, okay, she's read, and now I'm out the back door. Uh, and she had a sense of, of the need to have an, a, a genuine exchange, an authentic yeah. connection yeah. in that moment because of what was going on. I mean, here she's pouring out these these words and these, this, this vul- vulnerable um, agenda, if you will. And gosh, you know, how great for, for both sides
0: that you that's can right. kind of consummate that. That's right, that's right. And and it's, I think that two-way communication um, between not just the poem on the page, but the speaker of the poem and the writer of the poem and the listener and the audience, I, I, you know, in, in these times of so much on Zoom, we're so robbed of fear, of hearing the collective sigh in a room right? when someone reads. Um, so I love that you're talking about the inherent connection that's made and that's necessary. And, you know, poetry, when I think about poetry, it's like it goes back to the beginning of humankind, a kind of communication like song. It's not something that should sit up on dusty shelves so i love that you're working with the youth and i love hearing about your ideas and um you know we're kind of coming close to the close of the show and i want to sneak in another poem i don't know what do you what do you feel like reading i am open do you want to read noontime firefly noontime firefly
1: by day just a black beetle the slightest peak of pink above its wings, dulled by that bright sun, spent from the excitement of the night before, taken down by too much of a good thing. I leaned closer to the screen door, looking for secrets, wanted to know what it was like out there on that dark stage. Everybody longs to hear the confessions of a star. It's been years since I did that dance, Lighting up for the courting ritual, on display till all hours, pocket buzzing with a scrawl of numbers I may or may not call. It's hard not to miss that power, commanded by virtue of mystery, radiant insecurity, how we lit the sky, our lives luminous points. And even though we might say we're happy not to have to go to all that trouble anymore, to tuck into bed early beside the one we chose. Part of us will always be on the hunt for a spark we might have missed, as if the immovable loneliness could be solved
0: by one more try at this. Oh, wonderful. That was Catherine Petricelli reading her poem, Noontime Firefly, on the Hive Poetry Collective, K-Squid, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I just love the arc of this poem, that it starts with a bug on the screen door and leaps to the speaker's days of courting and then really like a meditation on marriage and aging. Like, that's amazing for, <laughs> let's see, you know, one, two, three, seven or eight stanzas, short little stanzas, tercets. Um and the, the tone of this poem, it's very voicey. It's very engaging. Just a black beetle. Da-da-da. Spent. From the excitement of the night before, taken down by too much of a good thing. Right. We just really, we're right there, both looking at this bug and really kind of taken aback. Like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, And I I love and It's such fresh description. And I feel feel like your poems do this quite a lot, Kitty. You find a really new way of talking about things we've all talked about a hundred times. You know, lighting up for the courting ritual on display till all hours. Pocket buzzing with a scrawl of numbers I may or may not call. That's just such fresh language to talk about something most adults have gone through yeah well i I think it's um partly just
1: being true to our own the the weird little notes that pop into our heads i think uh, partly for me writing becomes having a faith that what is swirling around in our full brains you know are worth getting down because when they sound normal to us, they're they're fresh to 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 someone else because yeah. each of us is unique and we look at things uniquely. And so, trusting that and trusting what we have to say, I think just brings you know brings that
0: uniqueness. Yeah, and and I also feel like your last the the last stanza, the kind of starting uh, with the um, penultimate stanza. Part of us will always be on the hunt for a spark we might have missed, as if the immovable loneliness could be solved by one more try at this. Wow, I I just feel like you really speak to the aloneness we experience as humans, whether we're coupled or single, that there's always this search, and I feel this is um, um, emblematic of your work in general, this search for connection not just origins but connecting with the living world and connecting with the human world as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So thank you, thank you for sharing these poems and joining us today and um, I just feel like my my head's about to explode with so many ideas about uh, language and poetry and sharing poetry and uh, it's just a pleasure, it's been a pleasure Uh, having you on the program. And I hope you'll come again when your book is out. You're
1: very kind. Thank you so much, Julie. This has been really, really fun. Yeah.
0: So thanks for joining us on the Hive Poetry Collective. I've been your host, Julie Murphy, and we've just had the great pleasure of spending this hour with Catherine Petricelli. and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Be for the honey, be, be for the yeah. Be for the honey, be, be for the mm-hmm.